from the Carter Subaru Studios, this is Cairo Nights with Jake Scorheim. We do a news roundup thing every day where we look back on all the other shows. We play you a clip from whatever they talked about, and then we also talk about it. Matt, do we have the song to start? It no. It has been lost in the digital ether. We're still trying to we'll dig it back it. up. We'll find it. Yeah, we'll get it back at some point. All right, Seattle's Morning News. They were talking about AI. Let's hear a little bit about that. Senator Joan Wynn, who's been helping to uh, write the state budget, represents White Center. And I saw this piece about you um, using AI to, as you put it, crush reports. So uh, expl <laughs> explain how you use it to brief yourself on the issues. As legislators, we're asked to do a lot of different things in a variety of topics. And one of the most important things is being informed as you make decisions and for me, the way that I've used uh, AI in this particular case has been to help me better understand very complicated topics that I may not have the expertise to uh, in order to get to a level of understanding to make thoughtful decisions. And uh, folks may not know, we get thousands of reports every single year to the legislature on a variety of topics. I'll upload that. I'll get a summary of that. I'll ask my staff to help augment some of that feedback. And then it gets me basically... 80% comfortable with the topic within a couple of minutes versus two hours reading the whole thing. Yeah. So how do you fact check it? Because uh, the way these things work is they're just using statistics to predict the logical next word, and it's not always footnoted. So how do you know it's accurate? Actually, ChatGPT 4 is footnoted. They do cite references as to where the information comes from. And then the reports, at least that I, that I read, um, usually when I get the summary, it's not Bible. It's not just what I take uh, yeah. in terms of the, the next steps. I then go to that summary, find where it might be bringing up something that might be somewhat controversial. Most of the stuff I think I want to take a step back is very baseline. It's not anything complicated. It's not anything that's going to be life changing. It's give me a summary of what this uh, document entails. So I get a baseline understanding. And then I go for some of the more nuanced, advanced concepts by utilizing the staff that I have to kind of help me augment some of that work. Does this give you guys a great deal of confidence to hear that they're not reading these things or just having AI tell them what these things are saying? I'm going down a slippery slope right now thinking, okay, if we don't have to read the documents that are coming in, then who's writing the documents and does it matter anymore? Doesn't matter. And it's kind of freaky to me. And I'm still, I know we have a lot to learn about AI. And yes, we get 700-page documents from rulings and hearings that we have to pour through. Will it make that easier? Maybe, but it's it's frightening. Doesn't it kind of freak you out a little it bit? It does, though? especially Dave yeah. asks the question about the footnoting. And yes, if if Chat, chat GPT is footnoting as well is it footnoting from actual things or is it footnoting from what it thinks it is I, or I don't is it know. trying to manipulate you do, 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 so do, it can do, take do, over do, the do, world do, do, do. matt what do you think i don't know i mean i share some of lisa's reservations but at the same time if you are using it to pour through volumes of data and your staff is also double eyeing it and you could get a useful summary out of it it could help bring you up to speed at least have a basic understanding of some things because you know you you're in that position you have you do not have time to read everything yeah so if it can help you condense a little bit maybe that's a good thing we're going to have to practice with it. It's really interesting because how many times in the newsroom have we been waiting around for a, you know, a dump of documents from, you know, this federal report or that federal report? And it's like, who can pour through it the fastest? If chat GPT can actually do that and we have another set of eyes saying, OK, go look at page 36 through 40 again and, you know, 
perhaps it's a good tool. We so have- can I can I just elect ChatGPT then? What no. do I need this no, guy for? No, no, but you need cor- human involvement. A corporation why, is a why person, do, according no, to what, the Supreme Court. No, why, why do I need human involvement? Why do I need this guy? If he's not reading because it, if ChatGBT is telling him what to think and then he's taking that down and he's voting on it, it's like he just told him us. What to think. It's condensing data that his staff then compiles and forwards to him. It's not telling him how to vote. Of course it's telling him how to vote. It's summarizing the things that he's reading. He's then making decisions based off what he's read. I've seen how these things work. You can say, hey, AI, make this uh, email to my subordinate seem more flowery because they've had a tough day. You can actually say those yeah, things. And then, and then it will tell you to like, you can put moods. You can put vibes into these things. Because I don't know if you could do that to like a document, though. Of course. What, I mean, a document that's it? already been, a well, document that's already been, you know, there. if you're looking for a summary. Of I've it. seen these staffs. These are not the brightest in the bunch. <laughs> Okay. I, I, we, the jury's still out, but it is concerning. I will agree with you if on that. If I Very am an concerning. elected official, if I if I run for election, and I have, let's say I ran in somewhere in Snohomish County, which is where I live, and I said, hey, folks, I want to represent you. I want to go to the state Senate, and I want to help vote on things that are going to make this a better place to live for everybody. And then I go and I say, I'm actually going to use AI to help me read everything because I don't want to actually read everything. And I'm going to use it like Cliff's Notes in college. When I was in college, if you read Cliff's Notes and you didn't actually read what you were supposed to, you were got in, you got in trouble. Yeah. And you were not the kind of student that you should have been. Right. So if you're elected and we're paying these, I don't know what they're paying these people to do, but this is their job. And they're using AI to help them make these decisions, as he just said. I'm not I'm a crazy person. He just said it right there. Right. I don't like AI in our politics. I think it's a bad deal. But I'm just lazy. Saying, it feels totally I, I would, lazy Is to it me. too late? Is it has that ship already sailed? Yes. And how do we deal with it now? Well, we just ignore it. I think we just ignore it. We move on. Uh, Gina Ursula. Oh, <laughs> head in sand. The middle class uh, is hollowing out. Let's hear what Gina Ursula have to say. Are any of these positive, Matt? We should. No, uh, absolutely not. The world is going to hell. <laughs> well, we are a positive show. All right, in the future, let's focus on some like upbeat things. Uh, Gina Ursula, the middle class. The middle class is hollowing out, according to Gina Ursula. Let's hear about it. What do you consider middle class, though? Can I address that? Because there's an actual definition. And the definition is an income range between two-thirds and double the median income, which is what those numbers reflect. The problem is that what we believe is middle class is your purchasing power. So can you buy a home? Can you afford to take vacations? Can you afford to have kids? Multiple of them. Can you send those kids to college? Can you comfortably retire? And even within the def, like the actual definition of what counts as middle class, most of us can't fill out that list anymore. Which, I mean, the middle class should be the backbone of this country, correct? Yeah. I mean, that used to be the case. Yeah. It, it, it's hard. And, and by the way, what's 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 savings? Right. Like, right. What's what's savings? Like, well, one, there was a question that Chef, you asked us this morning, like, should you help your kids pay for their college if you haven't fully invested in your own retirement? You're worried about yours at all. I'd say that if you are someone today, right now, that's putting away money for college, there's a strong possibility that you guys are doing okay financially. I'm not saying all the time. I'm saying most of the time. Yeah. Uh, so middle class, what do you guys think about this? Middle class is hollowing out. Uh, what do you think, Lisa? 
I don't know what hollowing out means. Does that mean disappearing? Does yeah, that that's mean? what it means. Yeah. It's, it's oh, shrinking. Okay. Is that what hollowing out means? Previous generations, you know, like my dad's here, oh, yeah. there was an expectation of what the middle class okay. was. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I don't think there's even a question about that. That doesn't exist anymore. You, you agree, Matt? I, I totally agree. I mean, I was talking to somebody Friday, very knowledgeable, and he was explaining how economically the ultimate end game of all of these things is the destruction of the majority of the middle class. That's the only way it ends up if there aren't checks and balances. You said the end game of what things is the destruction of the middle class? The end game of unchecked greed and consolidation, more or less. I mean, there were a lot of variables in that, but that was the, the nut of the, the situation. The greed of who? I'm not meaning to put you on the spot. Is it... Uh, when you have a system that is always based on more, you always have to inch it up every quarter because the stock, the, you know, your shareholders expect it. And if you don't, your value plummets, the things of that nature. Things become increasingly consolidated. That boxes people out of upward mobility opportunities. The cost of everything is increasing while the pay and the buying power of the consumer, the middle class, is stagnating. That's where it ends up. I, I think an interesting aspect of this is that I think people are trying to... Um, maintain maybe a lifestyle that they were born into a lot of times. So like you might have somebody who's born into an area and decides, well, this is where I'm going to raise my family and grow up and live. It can be really expensive. Like for instance, in the city of Seattle, I grew up coming down to Seattle all the time. I can't afford a house in Seattle. Like the average cost of a house in Seattle is what? Like seven, 800, 9,000 million bucks. More like a million bucks. Yeah, million, million bucks. Something. Yeah. So I have four kids Kids are expensive. I understand that. So what did I decide to do when my wife and I wanted to buy a house? We went out of town. Like We just didn't live in Seattle anymore. We made that decision. I don't think a lot of people are willing to find, you can still have a very middle-class life, like traditionally middle-class life, if you're willing to do it somewhere else. There's a lot more affordable places to okay, live in Seattle. Okay, and that's great, but what do you do with the people who support the people pulling down the big salaries? Those services and jobs and roles are still needed, and if they can't afford to live here, what do you want them to do, commute four hours? Well, I think you can commute to work and not live in Seattle. You're not going to live four hours away. That's not... That's but I'm not, saying as it grows bigger and more outward, those costs are going to increase the outward-lying areas too, pushing them further away from the, the city. Well, I would be a strong proponent of people trying not to live in the city. I wouldn't want to live in the city. But I'm saying you can't have the infrastructure and the things under that that are necessary to support the people pulling down the big salaries if they can't afford to live even in commuting distance. Well, I well, well, it sounds like we maybe think a little bit differently on this one, and that's totally fine. I uh, I know that it's much harder to own a house in Seattle than it used to be, for sure. But I do also know that if you explore other, I mean, the Pacific Northwest, this whole region, just in the last three years, has gotten insane. It's in been houses. getting insane for quite a long time. I mean, you've you're you're what you you just you turned forty. Just when turned you, forty. Yeah. So twenty years ago, when you were twenty, and how much was the house back then? You know what's funny about that? When I was 21, maybe 22, I just got out of college. And I remember going and walking through uh, like one of those, you know, you like, go through those houses that are like, uh, what do they call those? Um, oh, the homes, homes that are open that you yeah. can go. Oh, the, the model, street, model home. Oh, the street model of dreams. No, 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 not street of no, dreams. Okay. Just like, this was just like a townhouse. Okay. This is just a townhouse. And I remember walking through it and they were saying like, and I think at the time the house was like maybe... $197,000, oh. which actually would have been a sweet deal. But that was like, again, yeah. it was like 25 years ago. And um, so I'm walking through it and the lady goes, hey, do you want, you can, and this was back in like before 
the real estate crash, the and the 2008 real estate yeah. crash, when they were doing all these subprime things. And she right. goes, do you want to buy this house? And I was like, well, I'm just out of college. I don't have a job. And she goes, you know what? That's actually not a problem. We can get you approved. And I said, whoa, uh, oh. no, I can't. I can't. Like, I knew enough that I couldn't afford that house. That's and I was like, I can't afford this house. And she goes, well, you know, it's like you really don't need, do you plan on having a full-time job? And I was like, well, yeah, of course. That's why I'm in college. And she goes, well, if you plan on doing it, like, I'm pretty sure we can get you approved. Wow. Isn't that insane? That is insane. So, then, yeah. So not Unethical, to, too. Very unethical. Yeah. Needless to say, I did not buy the house. Yeah. Although it would have been a great purchase if yeah. I could have figured out how to hold on to it 20 years ago because wow. that house is worth quite a bit more now. But to answer your question... What was your question again? Has how have houses gotten have expensive? You, yeah, how what was the price of a house? Is there a reason that houses why have they gone up, you know, what is that almost from 197,000 to it's probably 1.7 million now. Why have houses gone up that much? Is it because of so many tech jobs? Is it because of so many people that moved into the area? Well, is I it think, because of something else that, like the unethical actions of the woman who was trying to get you a loan? The, yeah, is and that was and that was corrected in two thousand eight, yeah. I think, to a, a big extent. Yeah, but you know th- that stuff still happens to some extent yeah. these days. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, let's get back to. Uh, do we have time for one more? Yeah, of these? we do. Let's go for it. All right, which one, Matt? You choose. Uh, let's do John and Sherry. John and Sherry, is being married really a key to happiness? Let's hear about it. Are you happier if you're married? Um, study finds, Sherry, the answer is... Sort of. What? Yeah, sort of. Because, I'll tell you, here's what here's what they came up with. It was a Gallup okay. poll that was taken between 2009 and 2023. And uh-huh. you had to... And bunch of people, zero to ten how your life is going. Zero being the worst, 10, you're on top of the world. So what they found was 12% to 24% non-married people were happier, a little bit happier, right? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. The married people were happier, 12 to 24%, depending on what your age is and all of that stuff. Um, And the happiest people were those that didn't attend high school, got married young, and the least unhappy were... Um, people that had a graduate degree or better. So they say that now there's a new trend. People are not marrying for passion anymore. They're marrying Mm -hmm. for friendship. They're marrying for companionship. And they want someone to be there for, for them as they go through life. Here's the part at the end that really says... At all, I think. After all this study, this Gallup poll, all this, here it it is. Here it comes. The the scientist said, I don't think we're ever going to get uh, up to a point in social science where we can say whether or not and with any precision whether marriage causes happiness. Uh, Lisa, do you agree with that? <laughs> no, <laughs> All right, Matt, you go first. The only no, 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 no. You, you go first. Matt, what do, you, do you agree with that, marriage? Uh, I'm the only married one here, so you guys both have an opinion on this that, yeah. that I, I just don't have the same context. I think if you're a, if you if you've got fundamental things that you're dealing with that make you unhappy, you are going to be unhappy, and you're going to carry that into your marriage and make the other person unhappy too. I don't think that you can say, "Oh, if I get married, I'll be happier." That's within you. Okay, Lisa, what do you think? What are the lyrics to that old song, make someone happy, make just one someone happy, and you will be happy too? Yeah. If you're concentrating on someone else's joy rather than your own joy, it does help to bring you joy, but then you have, yeah, I hope that the other person is concentrating on you and your happiness. Yes, no, I think you're totally right. Yeah. I do think like this, This there's a, there's an approach these days. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying one way or the other. I'm saying one way or the other. 
there's an approach these days where they say, keep looking inward and keep focusing on yourself yeah. and working on yourself. Just for myself, every time I do that, I'm not in love with that process. Yeah. I don't like just looking inward at myself. So in marriage, if you want a successful marriage to work, and I've been married for 13 years yeah. now, and I've been together with my wife for 16 years, and we have four kids. If you're focusing on the other person, like you just said, and they are focusing on you, you get this incredible good feeling from that. Yeah. And over a long enough period of time, I do believe, because statistically they do say it, you are more happy people, and you live longer. So if you're married, it does have a lot of great benefits. And if you can focus, and then once you bring kids into it, I think exponentially that turns into a whole different thing because now you're both focused on a shared common goal, which is the kids. And, and exponentially so, you have this shared common stress and expense that doesn't yeah. always improve your life. But Matt, you get through it together. Matt, I got to tell you, you're totally wrong on that one with kids. Any parent well, I knows. I one wrong thing a week. No. That'll be only one. <laughs> you're totally wrong. It's only Monday. Kids are a blessing. They're great. They're not as expensive as everybody says either. Kids are not that expensive. They all cost about the same. Yeah. And, you know, it's about priorities. And if you prioritize your kids. It gets yeah. cheaper as you go along. Totally. The more kids you have, the, more, the less expensive it gets. The first <laughs> one, it's kind of a sticker shock. But kids two, three, and four, pro I, I promise you, uh, much more affordable. You're listening to Cairo Nights with Jake Scorehide. Welcome back to Cairo Nights. I have one of my all-time favorite guests on the show. He's really become a pretty good friend, which I count myself lucky. Felix Bunnell, welcome Wait, that, to the show. That's a little presumptuous of you. Nope. Well, all right. You, you, well, we, I, have, we have known each other for a long time. We just didn't meet in person. I consider you a friend, but you Same don't here. consider me a friend yet, which is no, what we're just totally, finding out totally. live on the air. Thank you very much. That's very awkward. <laughs> no, we, act, we actually have known each other a long time, haven't we? 15 years, I think. Something because like you that. used to come on, I'm trying to think, you used to come on to Dory's show and talk about local history talk about local tv history a lot or tv history sports hydroplane 50s history stuff hydroplane so, i remember one time, remember one time sending you the the sonics seattle supersonics That's what I was just novelty songs i had i yeah. remember the seattle sonics old songs from like <laughs> yeah. the uh, 70s and yeah from the championship year in, yes. in 79 i think 78 and 79 they had that seattle sonics do it tonight this kind of disco song that yes. was really cool and then there's this very white sounding song about sonics yeah, you're okay. You bring us all the thrills in the NBA. It's was just, it like very terrible. much like President's United States of America sound? No, not even that. It was it was an album that was put out like a of uh, Bob Blackburn, the old voice of the Sonics, and somehow they they package it with this very kind of clean sounding like a um like some radio jingle group somewhere in Texas. Recorded. Oh, gotcha. It yeah. was just totally anesthetic. Yeah. So anyway, or not oh, anesthetic, antiseptic. Well, me. okay. So 15 years. We've known each other for 15 Long years. Long time, yep. That's why we have such an easy back and forth. You're you're a good, you're one of the good guys, Jake. Well, listen to this. I saw a story of yours the other day and I said, I got to get this guy in here to talk about <laughs> this because it had a couple of things in it that grabbed my attention. One, I love the East Side. The East Side's very interesting to me. Also, there's a mystery house. Yes. yes Tell me about yes. this mystery house. Well, I've been driving past this house or walking past it for probably my whole life. I grew up in Kirkland, grew up on Rose Hill between Kirkland and Redmond. Oh, and then, Richie yeah, Rich, yeah. huh? Really? <laughs> no, no. Have you, have you been to, were you, did you go to Rose Hill in the 1970s? No. It was not. It was a very, I just assume was, everywhere in Kirkland's rich. You know, they've torn down my parents' house and replaced it with two giant mansions and stuff. My neighborhood, the street I grew up on, yeah. just east of Lake Washington High School. Unrecognizable. I can't go. All I can. All that's there still is the the Douglas fir tree and this big giant glacial erratic rock that my dad dug up about f probably sixty years ago. It's still there. I want to go and steal it. Don't tell him. I, I almost wanted to steal it when the house was for sale, 
Never got around to it. You know, it probably weighs like 500 pounds. It's a pretty big rock, or, right? Or one of those, you know, when, you, when the guys deliver a dryer to your house, do they yeah. put that weird harness on where the two of them, you might be able to do that yeah, with one of those. Yeah, you're just like carrying it somehow with your so back. If I knew someone within a, with an appliance shop, they might help me steal this rock. Off I could help you. I got a truck. Enough. I could help you. No, Rose Hill, we weren't, we weren't, I'm the one of nine kids. We weren't poor. Oh, that's right. We didn't yeah, go yeah. hungry, but we certainly weren't like living the lavish lifestyle. Yeah, but, no, but that I, area now, like you mentioned, yeah, it's I wouldn't, I wouldn't filled with mansions. Yeah, yeah, it's very different. Yeah, it's very I, different. I, I drive back there a couple times a year and just kind of, you know, just kind of absorb. But only thing that's different, all the trees are taller and that big rock's still there. But so this is, this is in the, the downtown part of Kirkland on a place called Sixth Street South. Right where the railroad tracks used to be, it's now this Kirkland Cross Corridor Trail that goes all the way. Eventually, we'll go all the way along the east side on the old railroad oh, line. Oh, yes. Yes, I've seen it's it. It's just, uh, what would it just be, um, north of the Google campus in Kirkland? Yeah. And there's this little, there's a little creek, and this little red house looks like a little shack or a little cottage, a little rolling hillside, kind of a split rail fence. It, it's been there, again, my whole life. I've driven past it over and over again. And about a couple of weeks ago, I stopped and looked at it because something obviously changed. As it turns out, the people who'd owned it had passed away. The estate put it up for sale somehow, and a bunch of neighbors got together and convinced the city to buy it. Oh, cool. So they bought this little triangle piece shape of land. It's right alongside the trail. It might eventually have picnic tables and stuff for the people who are actually using that Just trail. like a little community space or a park or yeah, something? Yeah, and it's right along kind of a busy road, um, but it's it's got this little creek, as I mentioned, down along the side. And I took some pictures. I crouched down by the creek and, and took pointed my camera back toward where the little house is. It looks like you're in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. It's and they literally you're a few blocks from so that's, Google. That's right near the Google campus just, and right alongside a north, road? Yeah, right along Sixth Street South. And it's this very cool little shack. They think doing some research, got some help from my friends over at the Kirkland Heritage Society. You know, again, I grew up in Kirkland and known some of these people for decades. And it turns out the cottage dates probably 1945. Got some help from my friends at the King County Assessor's Office at the, at the archives over at Bellevue Community College, or Bellevue College, I guess they call it now. You got friends everywhere. Kind of did all the paperwork. Oh, you, you live someplace long enough and you aren't a total jerk. You yeah. end up making friends. Yeah, you, you, at the Assessor's Office or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so the little cottage, they think, was built in 1945. It's belonged to the Fisk family. That's the people who own the bigger house that's to the north. Okay. And there's a lot of debate that was raging on social media when I first posted some pictures and said, hey, does anyone know the backstory to this cool little mystery cottage here in downtown Kirkland? And some people said, oh, yeah, it was just a shack where the guy kept his pigeons. Um, some woman said, oh, I almost rented that back in the 70s. I was huh. going to live in there. And Bizarre. then Loita Hawkinson, who's a friend of mine from the Heritage Society, she said that it actually looks like at some point around 1970, they called it Red Barn Antiques, and it might have been an antique store. Oh, funny. Because if you look, you know, it looks like it has electricity. It looks like it might have even had a little place where there's a bathroom. Yeah. It looks like this perfect little sort of cottage mystery house that you could have been very happy living in, kind of a, uh, I don't know, maybe what, 400, 500 square feet. Maybe it's that's a, even bigger than that, but kind of a bohemian lifestyle on the tight. edge of Kirkland. When I saw it, because if anyone wants to see it, you can find pictures of this on mynorthwest.com. Mm -hmm. Just look up Felix Pinnell and he's got a section there. But when you look at it, it looks like if you're like ha like just taking a stroll through the woods, it would look like a tiny little magical cottage. Where a little dwarf would live and who have just, like sort of like mushrooms. Totally. Or, that just pops up out of nowhere. And yeah, you're just like, exactly. well, how in the heck did this thing get And in the here? creek is amazing too. It's Everest Creek, which flows off the hill there. And a couple blocks away is Everest Park, which is the really famous Kirkland baseball park where the Kirkland National Little League All-Stars trained and practiced. From the 1980s. Won, and they won the Little League World Series back in 1982. Mark They're, something. He was the guy who hit that Cody home Cody Webster. Oh, Cody Webster. He was a yeah, pitcher and a hitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, Gibby Black was a kid I went to high school with who was on that team as well. Um, 
But so it's, it's just a few blocks from Everest Park. And so Everest Creek, which is this creek that apparently goes underground several parts of Kirkland, it's actually daylighted all through this property. There's this cute little creek tumbling across the rocks. I was there. It was just, it's like, again, it felt like I was off in the just woods. Just picturesque. Totally different. Yeah. Yeah. And so they've been trying to figure out what the real story is. Um, the Fisk family, I think there's there's the people who, the estate that sold it, anyone who knows anything about what actually went on there isn't around anymore. Or, it's like the story's been lost. To or the, this is the darker version. They're keeping quiet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. About what went the on. The little red cottage in Kirkland. Tiny little yeah, scary red cottage. Will, uh, yeah, and you know, sort of spool out over several episodes. And yes, you find all the and then the before you know it, and the, then the city the, is going to like have to condemn it and, and tear like get it down. the ground penetrating radar to identify where all the, Yikes. You know, who knows what is buried. That, now that would be, that, that would be like some British uh, kind of mystery show. I hope yeah. that's not the case. I don't think it will I be. I like to think it's a sweet little cottage. And I talked to the Kirkland Parks Department and they said, well, you know, we're not just going to tear the house down without asking people first. They kind of said that they're going to, that was kind of the quote. I think the guy wanted, and very nice, returned my call. Not everyone, everyone returns my call, but he returned my call and essentially said they do want to do some kind of public process because part of them thinks the little house is just a piece of junk and should be removed. So yeah. there's not a hazard for people using the park. Unless it's special in some way. But yeah, but there is sort of this, this chorus growing to say, hey, that's a cool little shack. Whatever happened there, whether it was mysterious or whether it was something just totally mundane, yeah. um, let's keep that because it's such an old part a cool part of old kirkland and it's been so visible for so many decades anyone who's driven through that part of kirkland if you look at the pictures of my northwest you know yeah. exactly what i'm talking about there i love old buildings like that we go to um there's this little place we get breakfast at um i live up north in mm-hmm. uh, snohomish area mm-hmm. and there's a little place we get breakfast at and my and while we're waiting for takeout on the weekends sometimes we don't always we're not ritzy yeah. ritz people but uh <laughs> sometimes when we get breakfast there we wait and there's this tiny little like uh uh lumberjack cottage oh, at man. the edge of Snohomish, right above a river, right above the Snohomish River, yeah. just like, you know, your mm-hmm. little river you were talking about, which makes sense when they would have like, you know, they want, would have wanted a water source. Yeah, yeah. So it's right next to this water source. It's this two level, but you can still go up and see it's like got the mud thatch and all that kind of wow. stuff. Super old. And then right next to it, and it's this one. This one's actually like kind of creepy looking because if you peer in the window, it's got all this dust on the window. And then inside, there's a Christmas tree that is up. That's been up for probably I don't know however long it's been up. But there's no one who lives in it. I think it's like a little tiny museum, but I don't think it's open anymore. Yeah, yeah. It actually reminds me of that movie Hocus Pocus. Did you see that movie uh, on Disney? And it's like those three witch sisters. Oh yeah, and Bette Midler's it, one of them. Bette Midler's in it. Sarah Jessica Parker <laughs> right. and the other lady. And then it turns. Kathy in- Najimy. Kathy Najimy? Yeah, yeah. I think so. That's a good poll. That's great right there. (laughs) She also played the press secretary's wife on Veep. There you go. Yeah. Bingo. So this little place, I think, was a museum at some point, and I think it has some connection to Old Town Snohomish, which is a very old little town. The downtown part of Snohomish is very cool. But right next to it is a cemetery, Uh, and you have all these graves from like the late 1800s. And, you know, I love walking through, this is kind of weird, but like, I love going through old grave sites and yeah. just seeing the history of these different places. Yep. And so this, this house is obviously not getting torn down, the ones in the homeless. I hope the one in Kirkland also doesn't get torn yeah, down. Yeah, I hope so too. Those are cool yeah. pieces of our history that we all can enjoy. And even if, even if all they turn it into is like, lock it up, put some stuff in the window that people can peer through. And then it gives people like a thing that they can walk by. Yeah. That would be worth it. Because this this whole notion, I mean, there's certain buildings are worth saving for lots of different reasons. Is this thing architecturally significant? No. It's got a cool little porch with these turned posts on the way. You could stand, kind of, you can sort of stand on the porch now and kind of get an idea what it looked like. Yeah. But the fact it's in such a prominent place 
both along the road and this the old rail line, which is the old belt line they built back in the early 1900s as a way to kind of bypass all the railroad traffic in Seattle. Yeah. That's becoming this trail now. It actually is a trail now. But it's there's so much traffic going by there to maintain some part of the visual identity, that, that continuity. That's what gives you that sense of place. When you drive by, you know where you are without having to look at a map or think about it. You just, you just visually right away just osmosis know I'm in Kirkland at that little house. Yeah. I, I love stuff What like a that. great direction, like signposts, too. Like, oh, just drive by the Little Red right House. by the Little Red House where all those horrible things where happen. Where those horrible things tried, happen. The family tried to hide yeah. by giving it as a donated thing. Don't stop see. there. It's yeah. a very scary yeah. place. Google's nearby. That's kind of scary, too. Um, well, Felix Pinnell, I love your stories. Thank you for bringing them to us. My pleasure. Thanks. All right, coming up next, I always save the best for last. You guys know that. And next, I'm going to play you some audio of a young girl on TikTok. She's not young. She's in her 20s. She's not happy that she has to work 40 hours a week. She can't afford her life. We've played a few clips like this already. This is another one. I'm going to play you some clips. If you've lived any kind of life and you've had bills or you've ever rented an apartment or you've ever just had a normal job, you're probably going to laugh at some of these clips. <laughs> I promise you I will. All right, we're going to be right back here on Kyra Nights. You're listening to Cairo Nights with Jake Scorehide. Welcome back to Cairo Nights. All right, I have a story I want to tell you guys. I hope you're interested in this because I'm interested in this. From time to time, I do like to talk about taxes, which you guys might not find interesting. But because I'm getting a little bit older and because I'm in my 40s now, I just turned 40 over the Christmas break. In fact, on Christmas Day, happy birthday to me, I turned 40. And so now, I not only do I know most things in the world, like when you turn 40, you just wake up with all of this knowledge, which is great. But also, I care about taxes much more than I used to when I was young, probably because I actually have money now. But I care about taxes now. So listen to this headline. This is on MyNorthwest.com. A proposed 10% tax on short-term rentals closer to becoming state law. Stop wasting my time. You know what I want. You know what I need. Oh, maybe you all right, so Matt Markovich has this story. It's really interesting. I found it very interesting. Listen to this. In a move aimed at addressing the pressing issue, uh, issue, not issue, I guess it's both, of affordable housing, state lawmakers are considering giving cities and counties the option of implementing a 10% excise tax on short-term rentals. So think about your VRBOs. Think about your, uh, um, I guess, Verbos and what's the, oh, what's the other one? Home Away? Is that still a thing? Uh, the Senate passed the bill in a near unanimous vote last week. The House Finance Committee in an eight to five vote on uh, passed the bill and is now, it moves to a full vote of the House. The proposed tax outlined would tax the nightly rate on short-term rental lodgings made through online platforms like Airbnb and Verbo. That was the other one, Airbnb. Um, the bill sponsor, Senator Liz Lovett, Democrat, Anacortes, testified to the House Finance Committee Friday that the bill is needed to fund housing for tourism workers who don't live in the area where they work. Uh, the bill doesn't limit the tax to cities with tourism as any other city is uh, with tourism as any city or county can implement the tax. Um, 
the mayor of Leavenworth, uh, Carl uh, Floria, actually talked about this. This is kind of interesting. He told the committee that his town depends on tourism, but 80% of the workers live outside of the city. He says, we're very quickly losing our community. Um, despite its population of fewer than 2,500 people, its hotel receipts are the third highest in the state at roughly $4 million per year. He says, we make more in our lodging tax than in our sales tax. Um, he also said that the tax could raise several hundred thousand dollars from the roughly 150 short-term rentals in the city for tourism worker housing. Now, there's something really interesting about this in relation to Leavenworth. I did not know this because I was under the impression that Leavenworth was kind of just this free-for-all in uh, verbos or VRBOs, as some people call them. For if you're hip and you're cool and you're young like me, then you call them verbos. Uh, but a lot of people also call them VRBOs or Airbnbs. But apparently, listen to this. In 2021, Chelan County, where Leavenworth is located, passed new rules that the county will cap short-term rentals that are not owner-occupied at 6% of total housing units. So what they're trying to stop from happening is just everybody speculative, speculative, speculatively comes in and buys these houses, these short-term rental houses. They call them SRTs. Uh, short-term rentals, no, STRs, short-term rentals, but they don't live in them. And then you have the housing market gets like really, really expensive because it becomes this really good investment. So like people from out of town, they might say, hey, you know where's a really good place to buy? You could buy in a little place called Leavenworth and then you can rent it out and you basically like make up your whole mortgage in just a couple of weekends, which is kind of awesome actually. And I wonder uh, how... Housing, uh, uh, what like VRBO or Airbnb, how do they feel about things like this? When you're actually like capping the amount of people who can actually use this, as Leavenworth has done. Leavenworth has said only 6% of the houses in Leavenworth can be VRBOs. And I think the 6% who get to do it are part of a lottery. So like you don't even know if the house that you have gets a friend of mine who who uh, has, a fam- has a family place up in Leavenworth. He was telling me this. He was like, yeah, apparently... Uh, you can only you can you can enter to be part of this lottery, and then if you are selected, then you have the option of renting your house out. You can be one of the VRBO people, but it's not going to continue on forever. So they're trying to stop people from buying houses. I wonder if it's going to work. I imagine it probably will. That was always something that I thought, oh, it'd be really cool to get a place up in Leavenworth. But if you're not able to rent it out, then it really makes it tough for a lot of people to afford that second house, which is, I think, what they're trying to stop because then it makes the rest of the houses very expensive and the people who want to live in the town, who are going to live in the town year-round, are kind of priced out of the town. So I understand both sides of this. I'm not sure I love, I, and I'm not, I'm not not sure. I can tell you, I don't love the idea of this tax. I don't love it. Um, you might be surprised, though, that Expedia, there's a lobbyist who represents Expedia, who owns... Uh, let's see. Expedia owns, ba, 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 ba. I believe they own VRBO. Isn't that right? Doesn't Expedia own VRBO? Um, they are totally okay with this tax because they say they'd rather have this tax than banning the short-term rentals. And they say, hey, if this helps relieve the pressure valve and cities can tackle the problem about getting make, making sure that there's housing available for everybody, but you can still have VRBOs and Airbnbs, then they're totally fine with the tax. And I guess that makes sense. All right, we got a lot more coming up on the show. Stick around. You're not going to want to miss it. 9 p.m. hour coming up next. We'll see you there. Going to be right back here on Cairo Nights.